1: And welcome to episode 323 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed where collaboration fits into your technology stack and why we believe most organizations are not giving enough consideration to what we call the collaboration layer of their technology stack. Uh, And we did that to give you a look into some of the big takeaways from our new book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, the Work from Home Edition. In this episode, we invited friend of the podcast and legal technology expert Debbie Foster to interview us about the book and our perspectives on collaboration tools. Remember, we are collaborating with others all the time and we'd best get good at it. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode?
2: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Ma Report, we will indeed be discussing some of the main takeaways from our new book, available at the ABA bookstore, with our friend and legal tech superstar, Debbie Foster. In our second segment, Debbie will ask us even more questions. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots to that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up guess what? We want to announce the publication of a fabulous new book for anyone in the law using technology. And that's just about everyone in the legal profession and everyone who interacts with the legal profession. And the latest edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies Work from Home Edition is out and available for order. We will include a link in the show notes. And while we're talking about the book, um, let's talk more about the book. Uh, We have invited. Debbie Foster of Affinity Consulting, uh, an expert on what is actually happening on the ground in legal technology today, to uh, ask us some questions about the new book. Um, Debbie, I'm going to turn things over to you at this point. Uh, you can fire when ready or ask, uh, to introduce yourself some more or wherever you want to get started.
3: Well, what I really want to know is, is this the part where we get to rename the Kennedy Mile Report to the Kennedy Mile Foster Report, even just for one episode?
1: Mm, No,
2: I would say you need a good 25 episodes under your belt before we can add your Ah, name to it.
3: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, well, let's jump in and talk about your book, which, by the way, uh, not that I would say anything different, but what a great book it is. And it covers so many amazing topics around collaboration, not just about collaborating on documents or meetings. And I, I really, really enjoyed reading the book. But I do have some questions. I would love to know first, Tom, I'm going to pitch this one to you. What was the biggest thing you learned in writing the second edition of this book?
2: You know, what I learned the most is, um, I'm going to chicken out on this question, sort of, because this is the thing that I keep learning. This is the, what, third edition of the book, I think, is that we've done. And both editions, what I have learned so much of is, how collaboration tools change and how many tools we talked about in previous books that just didn't exist anymore. They were gone. It was like they never existed. They were white from the landscape. We had to remove them from the book, um, which shows that there's a lot of um, impermanence around collab- some collaboration tools. However, some of the big ones, the ones that I think we spent a lot of time talking about in the book, um, have grown and have gained more uh, prominence in our lives, in lawyers' lives. We'll talk about that as part of the of the past couple of years with COVID. So I, I feel like I feel like some tools are uh, tools are fly by night. Some tools are there to stay. And so the, my my lesson there is um, when you're choosing collaboration tools pay attention to who the vendor is and don't just go looking to to see one and say hey this meets all of my criteria learn as much as you can about them to see are they going to be a vendor that's going to be here in a year or less or is this is this somebody that is going to be a good partner for us moving forward
1: and so what I would say is is something that uh, it was one was sort of this reinforcement of what I felt from the beginning, which is a collaboration is a team sport. And so you need to think in terms of the whole team. But I think what I, I really learned was this, this need for flexibility and to be able to use a number of different tools based on what the, the people you are collaborating with are using. So the more flexible you can be, the better. And sort of, uh, you know, my mantra in collaboration tools is is make it make yourself easy to work with. And I think if you use that as a guiding principle that got reinforced uh, for me as as uh, as we were writing this book.
3: Yeah, I think it's kind of a follow up to what you both just said. Being easy to work with is really important. And I think we're always looking for ways to be easier to work with And you all uncovered a couple of big things for me in the book. One of them was just the technology that you have. There's so much power there that you're not taking advantage of. But the second thing is kind of tied back to what Tom said. How in the world does a normal person keep up with all of the new things that are coming out? Forget about the stuff that we own already that we can take better advantage of. What is your recommendation for how to not get tool exhaustion? Like uh, not always be looking for something better. I feel like that is something that, that our clients struggle with all the time is maybe I just need something new when they have so much power and just what they already own. So Dennis, how about you on that? One? Well,
1: I mean, I think this is, you know, the classic case of the perfect being the enemy of the good. And I, you know, when I teach law students, I, I jokingly say uh, something that most lawyers will say anyway, and they'll hear throughout their career that people went to law school because they didn't want to to do math anymore or they didn't want to do math and science and, and sort of what I found is that lawyers will take on almost any legal problem, but they totally freeze up when it comes to technology. And, and I I don't know why. I mean, I uh, why that is. So I, I think it's a matter of kind of just paying attention to what's going on in the world. I think there's like tons of learning, you know, through COVID, especially on what the adjacent professions are doing. So. Look at what doctors are doing with patient portals. Look at, you know, what your dentist is doing. You know, look at those you know, what accountants and your tax return people are doing and say, why should I be doing that? You know, they're starting to become easier to work with. And I'm going back to doing it the, you know, like the old ways and kind of get stuck in there and say, no, the technology is too hard when if I just spend, you know, dedicate a little bit of time, you know, every week or so to saying, I just want to kind of follow what's going on in the the legal technology world, you're going to identify some things that help you. And, you know, the focus is always on what problem do I have in front of me that that, uh, technology might solve? And you just kind of keep asking that question and paying attention to what's going on. And there's some things that are just going to jump out at you and start with the small steps, as we always say.
2: You know, when I was reading a while back about a productivity author was talking about how when we're all kind of uh, in search for the best productivity tools, that when we start to feel like we aren't as productive, we blame it on the tool um, and not on our process. And so we have to go and find the latest tool. And then for a little bit, we have a new task manager and suddenly we feel great, amazingly productive until like three months later when it, we have a bad patch. I, I think it's the same with collaboration tools. So so I would say two things, I, I, but I, I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it's a bad thing to say, hey, We're using this right now for that. Are there new tools out there that have new features? Are there features that I want to think about that I don't know about? I think exploring every now and again to see what is new is useful. And having a good resource, which, by the way, the collaboration tools directory that we created as part of the book is a great resource. It's a curated set of all the sites we mentioned in the book. I'm adding new sites all the time as I learn about them. Um, I'm taking sites off that turn out to, to, to be going away. I think that's a great place to go and look. Take a look and see if you see anything new. And then even better, most of these tools, most of the tools we talk about, you know, take out the Microsofts of the world. Most of them offer free trials. So, you know, don't dive in immediately. Stick your toes in and see if you like something. Take a trial. There's nothing wrong with doing that on a periodic basis. Um, but to, to Dennis's point, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good and don't go switching just because you feel like the, ga- the grass may be greener somewhere else.
3: Yeah, I love that you're keeping up that, that resource um, guide. I think that will be incredibly helpful. So uh, I don't want to bring a cliche into this, but it has been said multiple times. I'm not even sure who the originator of the comment was that COVID advanced legal tech 10 years and 10 months. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but I'd love to hear from your perspective on the collaboration side of things. Did we fast forward 10 years and 10 months when it comes to collaboration, Tom?
2: I would say 10 years is a stretch. I would say that it is amazing to me how many lawyers started talking about just Zoom after when COVID started. It's just the fact that they discovered a tool that. How long has Zoom been around? 2014, 2013. I mean, it's been around for almost 10 years, and it was just suddenly discovered by most lawyers in the world in the year 2020. So forcing lawyers and uh, digital signatures and 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 you know getting away with the paper signature, um, I think is another big one. But forcing lawyers to think about a different way of doing their work was, I think, a big shift in things. Whether it moved forward 10 years, I don't know. Um, I, I would say, and, and I'm, I'm gonna borrow just a little bit from one of the other questions here, which is, you know, what changed since the last edition? I think COVID brought around a lot of this change. Obviously, the amount of meeting tools that people are, are, are using or the, the, the fact that people are using more Zoom, more Microsoft Teams to meet, that's a big change from the last edition. But here's the other piece. The other piece that I think is huge is the number of tools that sprang up around meetings saying, you know what, let's make our meetings more effective. Let's um, have something that takes down all of our notes while we're talking. Let's have something that allows us to have good stand-up meetings or one-on-one meetings with people. Let's have meeting tools that allow us to do asynchronous meetings instead of regular meetings. Those things, I don't. I, I, if they existed before COVID, they weren't very prominent. They weren't something that we were paying attention to, and now they are all over the place. So I think that and I think lawyers are not even really taking as much advantage of those tools as they, are, as they should be. I mean, I see, I see some who are using things like otter.ai to transcribe meetings and things like that. But I still don't see a lot of these tools popping up in the legal field. So I would say, yes, it advanced, but not 10 years. Um, I, I would give it like four, four years, maybe five, something like that, at least in collaboration.
1: I like to, my version of it is, I I think it advanced legal tech 10 months in 10 months. I mean, you know, it's- I'm too optimistic, aren't I? Okay. All right. No, I mean, I think- Tom and I you, I think we talked about this on a podcast once. If you, if you said to us in 2019 that where we find ourselves right now was like 10 years of advance, we would be like in a different field. I mean it's like you'd say, yes, it advanced online meetings, video conferencing, a few other things. but I you know I uh, worked with a very large law firm and you know they sent me an invoice and I went to pay a credit card and uh, they don't take credit cards. I mean, like, I'm like, come on, you're like, what, what year are we in? So I think we're seeing these, you know, little bits here and there. And you see, especially in uh, what I would call like the, the new, the newest generation of lawyers in small firms, I think are doing super cool things, you know, with, with technology and, and collaboration from the beginning. I think you see some, some really cool stuff in client portals, but that's not like, uh, that technology has been around for a long time. And I think, you know, my experience talking with law, uh, working with law students is they are not impressed. Uh, it, it, imp- saying they're impressed with the technology in the law firms they go to is 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 not a word they would ever use. That They're taking a step backwards. So I think it's a good thing and, it, and maybe it's a good sales thing and puts pressure on people. But, you know, uh, I don't think that Legal tech advanced as much or changed as much as the whole world changed.
3: All right, so Dennis, I'm going to throw this one to you. If a genie was going to grant you three wishes to improve the use of collaboration technologies in the legal profession, what are the three wishes? But they can't be more than thirty seconds each.
1: I'd say they take a strong, like a hard look at the patient portals with your with your medical. Uh, or your healthcare providers, I would say, talk to the people you work with. And I would figure out uh, the, the most important things you need to do and then use the platforms that you had to do that. And to me, that means Microsoft 365 uh, for using the collaboration component of it's much more intensively. How was that for timing, Tom? Well, that was good timing. Does
2: that mean I get to answer it now? So, my so my three wishes. My first wish is please try to stop using email. Please reduce the use of email. I mean, I will say that for the clients that we have convinced to work with us on Microsoft Teams on projects, it's just so easy to have everything all in one place. We're not worrying about email that often. Um, That's that's my number one wish: is that try to try to avoid email as a collaboration tool. It's a necessary evil. But try your best to find other ways around it. My next wish would be uh, similar to Dennis's, which is talk to your clients, find out what your clients are doing, learn what they do, because again, this is uh, this is going to be a continuing theme of this podcast, which is um, learn the best ways to work with your clients, but but also find a way to do it in which you that doesn't mean you're working with 300 different collaboration tools because your clients all do different ways to do it. So find a way to strike that balance with them. And then my third my third wish, um, I guess my third wish is spend more time looking at the tools you have right now. Learn about the collaboration. I'm hoping that you did this during COVID. You learn different ways that they can collaborate, but maybe not. So take a look at those tools. Really learn how to make good use out of those tools and what they do. I think that will do you better than searching for a, another tool out there Uh, you may already have it in your house. All right, that's the first set of questions. I think uh, Dennis and I are relatively unscathed. So uh, before we move on to the next bit of uh, questions from Debbie, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors.
0: InfoTrack, the same company that simplifies your e-filing and process serving, is right now preparing LegalUp 2024, a free and fully virtual event for legal professionals. Learn new skills from experts around the industry, meet fellow legal professionals from around the country, and tune into the latest and greatest trends and happenings from the comfort of your home or office. Join InfoTrack and One Legal on April 24th and 25th and see why 99.9% of legal professionals recommend this virtual conference. Register now at infotrack.com slash legalup. filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more. By integrating with your core systems, like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple.
1: And we're back. Debbie, let's get back to your questions about our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Work From Home Edition. What's up next?
3: So speaking of the work from home edition, I think work from home is one of the biggest struggles that law firms and and legal departments and everyone is really still facing, trying to find the right amount of balance. But I'd love to hear from you all, and maybe we'll start with Tom here. How much did work from home drive the use of collaboration tools? And is it going to continue to be the thing that drives things forward?
2: I actually like the second part of that question better. Will it continue to drive things forward? I'll get to that in just a second. I think it did a lot to drive the use of collaboration tools. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that suddenly, you know, we've been talking about this in our circles, in legal technology circles. We've been talking about using the cloud and how to to make use of the cloud for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, and now – when people were working from home, they had no choice but to use the cloud. I mean, that was the only option to be able to share documents. You just, you couldn't put things on a server and get to it in an easy way. You couldn't have meetings without using the cloud. Um, and so I think that working from home was a huge change and should have been a huge measure of adoption for uh, of collaboration tools by law firms. Now, will it continue to drive things forward? I think that's the more interesting question because... We are seeing more and more firms going back to the office. The real question that I have there is there appears to be, and Dennis will say this more often than I will, there appears to be some desire to, quote, go back to the same old way we were doing things beforehand because that's what we're used to doing. But I will also say the courts aren't planning to go back to the same old way. They're still doing virtual things. There there are more things that are, you know, they're they're, they're striking a balance now. They're not having trials by Zoom anymore because more people are going back to the courthouse, but they're having hearings by Zoom, and you set up for those. So they've now found a hybrid. They've now found a, a mixed approach. I think that's going to happen more often is, is to look for ways to make collaboration work. Look at the things that worked while we were working from home, and then now that more people are working in the office, I think that there's going to be some value in, let's Let's pick the things that worked well then, and see if we can adapt them to whatever this new work environment is that we're going to be in.
1: Yeah, I would I would go a little bit further even than time. I would say that that uh, enabling the ability of, of uh, people to work from home was the the biggest driver um, during COVID, especially at the beginning. Um, that's where people, you know, firms had to get up to speed. I think whether it continues to be. A driver going forward, I think is tricky and there's a dynamic that needs to be worked out as we kind of are, you know, uh, I would say we're in this sort of low, low trough of the, the waves of COVID. So we'll, we'll see, you know, the future is a little bit unknown there, but um definitely lawyers, especially newer lawyers and and some older lawyers, uh, want to have that flexibility that comes from working from home. And especially of any kind of, of commute at all, you're sort of wondering, like, what's the point of it anymore? That's what I think has really been called into question and where the collaboration tools uh, come into play. So to the extent that lawyers were, weren't already looking at cloud tools, they definitely are now. And then when you have uh, you know, like the natural disasters like Hurricane Ian, at which Tom and I sweated a little bit about uh, Debbie being safe enough through that, that's going to drive firms that aren't already on the cloud into the cloud because uh, just the the whole disaster recovery thing, and it's, you know, so that cloud infrastructure is going to be a part of existing firms have been through that, but anybody who's starting a new firm is going to be uh, built using cloud tools, and that just flat out enables uh, collaboration technology. So I think that work from home will be part of that dynamic, but it's sort of rethinking where you can be most efficient, most productive, and uh, what's the best way to do the work your clients need.
3: So the natural disaster thing is certainly interesting. And, you know, we were all doing this work when Katrina happened. What well, I don't know what year that was, but um, it's got, uh, gosh, 17 or 18 years ago. Yeah, it it was like, like 2000,
1: but- 2005, I think. But yeah, and, yeah,
3: and I think that there are definitely some lessons here. Um, Dan and I were in New York yesterday and went to – or the, today actually went to the nine eleven memorial and was, I, you know, walked in and saw the, the pictures of the papers scattered all over the place, you know, and it reminded me again about, you know, that how important it is that we're really thinking about not just collaboration tools, but the idea of not being dependent on an office or a paper file or all of those things that we kind of grew up having at our fingertips and kind of the, the things that drove what we did next, what was the next piece of paper on my desk, how important it is to think about these collaboration tools, letting us really be nimble in where we work and how we work. And so you all were talking about these decisions are getting easier, making decisions about collaboration tools, about buying them, about using them are getting easier for firms. Aside from the natural disaster thing, because it's not front of mind for everyone. Why do you think that it is getting easier for people to make those decisions about collaboration tools? Um, Dennis?
1: Well, I I think a couple things. I, I think it becomes part of that whole technology framework where you're saying, like the idea of saying I'm setting up This internal, especially when I'm starting from this internal network and internal servers servers and on-premises software that I install and maintain and do updates um, and the capital outlay that you have to do for that uh, versus saying I get these cloud tools, I'm paying a monthly subscription price, uh, I get you know, like these great, uh, you know, case management, other tools, uh, you know, for for small, very small amounts per month, that's driving it. I also say that uh, if we look at the, the whole nature of the cybersecurity uh, threat vectors, it's crazy to think that you can handle cybersecurity on by, you know, internally in a, in a law firm. So that's another reason it kind of pushes you to the cloud. And then I think... Once you look at when you're in the cloud environment, then all the collaboration tools open up and they're almost like. Built in as a as a part of of these cloud based tools. So if you're using like a you know case management tool, it's going to allow your uh, like most of the collaboration that you would want to do with the client. They come in, they can add make appointments on your calendar. They can check documents, obtain copies of things. You know, see what's going on, check status. They can pay their bill with a credit card. You know, all these sorts of things. And versus saying, oh, I'm going to go out and try to find software and an IT person who would set that all up. It's just like a world of difference. Like, why would you do that? When you, especially when you see like all these companies now just starting up you know, like essentially billion dollar businesses in Amazon Web Services and on the cloud from the, you know, from day one, just grabbing existing tools. Um, so that's why I think it's easier. And then uh, as we talk, we talk in the book a lot about and we've talked about on the podcast that with with. some of the platforms like the microsoft platform in particular you already have it and it's just kind of starting to use the collaboration tools that are are built into it so i think there are a lot of choices but like i said before the perfect is the enemy of the good it's just so easy to get started now i mean just grab something and use it and if you outgrow it then you outgrow it you know and and you pick something but a lot of times that's a good problem. If you say like, oh, it didn't work because we had too many clients and they were paying us too much. And now we have to get like a new, you know, case management tool. That's like actually a good problem to have. Right. So,
3: yeah. Tom?
1: My answer is more
2: simplistic than that, which is um, I think that COVID and the work from home situation forced open the eyes of a lot of lawyers just to the notion of collaboration tools that they didn't understand what existed at the time and that now they have a better idea that those things exist and so now they know what is possible and that i think that that we are going to see more lawyers start to ask about as, as new tools get adopted, saying, all right, is there a way we can do this that made it as easy for us to work with our clients or work with each other as we did when we were working from home? I think that those questions are going to rise to the top of mind more often and more frequently than they did before, which is why I think it will be easier. Kind of a simplistic answer, but I, I think it's just awareness is, is much better than it was before.
3: So I'm going to um, ask you a, a, a little bit of a curveball question, and Tom, I'm going to toss it to you first because I think your answer is going to be really interesting given the work that you do right now. How much of the demand for better collaboration is coming from the clients? Um,
2: well, for the work that I do right now, I would say not a lot. I mean, not as much as you would think. I usually have to be the one to ask the question, how do you want to collaborate? Um, I don't get demands on how to collaborate. You know, there have been some clients where I usually what I usually say is we prefer not to collaborate by email, but we're happy to use whatever you want to use on your end if you'd prefer that we come into your environment or we can set something up on our end that you can come into. And I would say um these days, eighty percent of the time, they are wanting to come into our end because they don't have anything on their end, and/or two, if they have something, they'll say something like, "Well, well, we have an FTP, a secure FTP. Will that work as a collaboration site?" And I'm like, "No, that will not work as a collaboration site." So. You know, I think that there's still work to be done there. I think that companies are not doing, and, and I would say we work with companies that would be more likely to use Microsoft Teams for collaboration than Slack. And most of those companies went with Zoom as their video tool and Teams as a, and they're using it just as a chat tool. They're just using it to chat. They're not using all of that. So there's still a lot of work to be done. That's in the corporate world. I'm sure that there is some analog there in the legal world that I don't see very often, but uh, yeah, there's still a little work to do.
3: Dennis, what do you think about the client side? Because I'm you, i sure your perspective is is not maybe not the same as Tom's coming from a different place, but I see a lot of client demand for better collaboration. Do you see that too?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's across the board. So you would say I, I would sometimes... Say to people, like, imagine that I was the general counsel of your corporate client. What kind of demands do you think I'd be putting on you? Um, And people kind of laugh nervously about that. But I'm like why shouldn't I, why shouldn't I do that? And then, then I look at things that that I've, you know, had to do. Like, so I got updated estate planning documents and I had to go down we had to go down to the bank and we spent like an hour getting things witnessed and notarized. I'm like, what, like what century are we in? My daughter the other day was, uh, had her iPhone out taking pictures of a paper document she had to print out and and fill out to email back to somebody. And that's, you know, and that's the experience of, you know, like the the 20-year-old, 30-year-olds uh, these days is going like, people want me to fax stuff. They want me to scan stuff. I got, and they don't even own printers, you know. The, and so that's not the world they live in. So I think that um, you may get specific client demands, uh, but I think it's a, uh, an evolution of the client expectations. And I see like whether it's, you know, criminal law, w- which were like the first group of lawyer, the first practice area, I think, that really moved to text because that's what their clients uh Clients used uh, family law. You know, they were doing online conferencing probably before anybody. They have, you know, some some different things. So you see these movements happening and they're from clients. But I, I still hear a lot of the larger law firms say we use this and our clients need to use that cuz we don't want to have like 500 different things and I want to go like there, there's not 500 different programs for one thing the it's easy to standardize and i hate to tell you this but from the large corporate client side truth be told the big law firms are a dime a dozen you know and that in in this market if you say like we're going to make it hard for you to work with us then we can there's a there's hundred law firms that would be happy to, to take that business from you. And you know law firms need to be aware of that. So I think that the client thing is a driver, and that we're all getting used to, like you said, if you think about medical and your experience with patient portals, the good ones, do you start to question why, why you don't see that with law firms? Yeah, and that's the competition.
3: Yeah. Well, so I'm wondering if people are listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, where do I even get started? Like what? There's a lot here. There's so much that I don't know. There's no possible way I can learn all of these things. Where do they get started? What is the first step, Dennis, for someone who's going, what should I do next? Besides read the book, read the book would be the first
1: thing. Well, I think that sort of where the book pays for itself is in these these sort of uh, client audit forms and some of the other things that we set up to kind of walk you through processes. I mean, frankly, I think the book pays for itself with those things. So I think it comes through this sort of assessment, inventory, figure out what's going on, what you have, what the problems are. Uh, Don't try to solve everything. There's no silver bullet, you know, one, you know, special platform. Just go through and say, what are the most important things? What will it take to get from point A to point B? And then plot out that path, phase things in. But everything, I drive everything of like, what are the problem you're trying, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And how do I make it easier for the people who want to work with me to work with me? And you're that you're 90% there. And then you go back and say like, maybe I already own tools that will do this. And and we're still at a stage where people are pretty tolerant. I mean, I think I I still hear uh, lawyers primarily say, Oh, I hate zoom because of this, you know, like minor thing. And you're going like, look, zoom is magic, right? Like, Look, look at what we're doing now. It's, it's totally magical what's what's happening here. And there is not this perfect tool out there that you need to have, uh, you know, these given features. And we're not in a world of, you know, some of these areas of legal tech where there's like 200 different choices, which to me means there's zero choices. But there are some basic tools that can can take you a long, long way. And, you know, 60 percent of the way, 80 percent of the way, even 50 percent of the way is is a big improvement from where you are, because uh, the technique these days is people don't tell you that you're not satisfying them. They just ghost you. And all of a sudden you're not doing work for anybody. And so I, I'd be out there asking people. We give you the survey forms, you know, s- stuff like that, that you can you can start to do. And then you just have to say this is important enough to me. I mean, Tom and I were weren't born innately with this knowledge of legal tech. Debbie wasn't born innately with that. We just went out and learned it. Like you're a lawyer and one of the skills that you've, you develop in law school is how to learn new things. So learning technology is not different than learning anything else. You know, just got to say that I'm a beginner again and go out and say there's some, you know, a problem and problem to solve is just a great way to focus that.
2: Tom. So I just realized as you're answering that, that it's hard um, to ask a question, what is the first thing you should do when both Dennis and I basically agree on what the first thing should be? So I'll answer the question in a slightly different way and say, go open Microsoft Word or Excel or Adobe Acrobat and look for the share function, look for the share button on a Word document and 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 think, oh my gosh, I could share a link with somebody rather than emailing the document as an attachment to them and go and explore and see what tools are available to you to actually share collaborate within the applications that you're using on a regular basis. If you're not used to doing any kind of collaboration, go and just click there. There's a in, in, If you're using a most up-to-date version of Word or Excel or PowerPoint, there will be a button up there that says share. Click on it and see what happens. That's, I, that's a good first step to take. Lots of steps after that, but uh, I think that's a, an easy way to dip your toes in and get started. All right. We are way past time, so I'm going to say let's, uh, let's take a very short break for a message from our sponsor, and then let's try and get out of Dodge quickly. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm, and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at legaltalknetwork.com. We'll see you there. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report.
1: I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And we're back with Debbie Foster of Affinity Consulting for what we are now definitely going to call the lightning round. Let's see if Tom and I are able to give lightning answers.
3: All right, here we go. Number one, are client portals necessary? Tom? Yes.
2: Yes. Uh, Okay, I'll give a little bit more of an answer. So yes, I mean, like, like Dennis has been saying, your doctor has a portal. Um, There are so many different places that have portals. How hard is it to have an area where I want to get see my bill, I want to be able to see my document, I want to be able to upload documents that you might need for my for for us. How hard is that? Yes, they're important. Dennis,
1: I would say yes, if you would like to survive in in this world.
3: All right, Dennis. Uh, You first, what's your favorite part of the book?
1: Well, I, I alluded to this earlier. I, I think that it's the forms that we put together and the, the templates that we did. And I, I think that's what, um, you know, makes this book especially valuable to managing partners of law firms, to law firm technology committees and, uh, you know, and basically to just put on the shelf of of your law firm libraries to make it available to people. I'd probably buy a copy for my IT uh, director as well, but I think it's those those forms and the thought process that we give you, uh, sort of the step-by-step approaches we give you to think through how to select tools?
2: Oh, I got to answer that question, don't I? Sorry, I was just sitting here thinking, what is my answer? So my favorite part of the book, (laughs) what I like about every time we write this book is um, what are new tools that are out that are responding to specific issues. One of my favorite parts of the book to research was the idea of virtual offices where and what i mean by virtual is is that they make use of spatial audio to make you feel like you're actually in an office where you can move your avatar into an office or you can go into a conference room and then you can talk to people who happen to be in that room but when you leave the conference room with your avatar you walk down the hall the quote hallway you can't hear anybody because the spatial audio works in just magic ways i really like thinking about all the the new tools and where we continue to evolve from a collaboration standpoint.
3: Okay, this rapid fire is only for Tom, not Dennis. Tom, are you ever going to let Dennis use the word co-collaboration?
2: Well, so I can't stop him from using co-collaboration, really. I mean, I just can't. I mean, he says it constantly. I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't, because collaboration is collaboration. That's like saying, am I going to use the term driving, driving? I mean, I'm driving. I mean, like there's co-collaboration is just collaboration. And that's, that's really all I have to say about
3: that. Uh, Okay. Dennis, what collaboration tool has helped you the most lately?
1: I really love Calendly for uh, scheduling appointments. And this is, you know, again, finding the right tool for the right job. So, you know, people want to talk to me and I love opening up portions of my calendar through Calendly and then people can can grab a free time and set up a Zoom call and then Calendly like confirms that puts it on calendar you know sends out the reminders it's it's just ama- amazing for things that are like appointments that would be done by Zoom it's it's just an amazing thing to say like let's not you know just and I can say go to my Calendly link and just pick the time that's best for you and uh it's, it just makes, I think super easy for people to contact me.
2: Tom. So it's a feature of a tool and not a tool. I talk about Teams a lot. I love Teams. What I used to hate about Teams was if I was presenting something, if I was giving a presentation and I wanted to watch my presentation, I couldn't also see the people that I was talking to. But now with the addition in PowerPoint of the button that just says present in Teams, then it opens up. It's just an amazing tool because, one, it opens up PowerPoint in presentation mode within Teams so you can see everybody. It allows people to actually move back. Back and forward in your deck if you choose to allow them to do that. You can annotate. You can see notes. It's just it was it's something I use now constantly because it makes presenting in teams so much easier.
3: OK, sidebar, I just learned something new. I'm going to have to go check that out. I had no idea that existed. That's awesome. OK, Tom, who will benefit the most from buying this book? I think
2: who will benefit the most are those lawyers and legal professionals who might not be collaborating as much as they need to, or realizing, hey, um, we're doing it the old-fashioned way. We're still mired in paper. We're still sending emails more often. We are faxing more often than we want to. Um, I, I hope that's not happening very often. I, I hope that COVID did away with the fax to a large extent, but you never know. I think that I think that the 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 ones who benefit the most from this are are those who want to learn more about how to collaborate and what the right tools to think about collaborating are. And then I suppose also those who are already collaborating, but want to look at new tools and new things, new ways to do it that they might not have thought about before. That's everybody, though. So I just basically said it's for everybody.
1: Well, I I, yeah, I think the for me, w- as I was writing the book, I was thinking most about what I would call decision makers in the legal profession and decision makers who want their law firm or their law department to survive into the future. Because um, collaboration is essential. Clients are going to expect it. And this just kind of is... Uh, <sighs> You know just the ante that you need to come up with to stay in the game over the next, you know, 10 years. I think that's, you know, the 10 months uh, advance in 10 years. I, I don't agree with that, but I would say that if you want to survive for 10 years, you're going to be heavy, heavy in collaboration. And on uh, the next book we'll be talking about, we'll be able to talk about metaverse and blockchain and, and stuff like that uh, in ways that we weren't able to do for this book. But um, there's a lot that's going to be coming, you know, as, as long as, uh, you know, we, the countries in the world don't manage to, to blow us all up. Uh, we'll be, uh, there's a lot to look forward to.
3: All right, last rapid fire. Anything else that you want to mention? One last thing about the book that maybe I didn't ask you about, Dennis. You go first.
1: No, I, I think I, I think I mentioned it. I, I think that, like I said, the value I think comes from the processes and the templates and the forms that we give you. I think that if you took our client survey for, form from the book and sent it to your clients, you would like your ROI on buying the book would be amazing.
2: Tom. The link is in the show notes by the book. That's all I'm going to say. We are way past time. So I want to say thank you so much to Debbie Foster uh, for humoring us and asking us some great questions. And we look forward to getting you back on the podcast so that you can increase your chances of having your name added to the show at some point in time in the future.
1: Now it's time for our parting shots, and we're going to make Debbie stick around, uh, and because we know she's she's also going to have one great tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Uh, Debbie, take it away.
3: So I'm going to go with Calendly, and I know that you just said it, Dennis, but I, Calendly has literally changed the way that I schedule and the way that I give people access to my calendar. But I want to first say that I listened to a very short podcast. And of course, I can't remember which podcast it was that said that um, this, uh, here's my calendar link to schedule email has gotten out of control. Too many people are doing it. It's disrespectful. You don't even have time to you know, get me scheduled on your calendar. You want to send me a link. And and I think that the magic there is in how you offer up your calendar link. So for those of you who have steered clear of that, because you think that that's kind of awkward, I add my calendar link and say, we have a couple of options. I'm happy to work with you one-on-one and schedule something, but if it's easier for you, here's a link to my calendar and you can see all the times that I'm available. And if you can't find something that works, just let me know and we'll work on something else. And I've never gotten any pushback on that. But I love, I, I, there's two quick things about Calendly, Calendly. Number one, it's not exactly a Calendly thing, but I use my email signatures to give people five or six different options. So I just literally right click in my signature and say, one hour appointment, two weeks from now. That's what the signature is called. So they can't even pick a time for two weeks or 30 minute appointment ASAP as soon as they wanna do it. And the second thing is I use it for specific scheduling. So if I have a firm that's gonna use a calendar link to schedule 10 meetings for one-on-one conversations with me, I create an availability schedule just for that firm with just the dates I want them to be able to schedule it And I send them that magical link and they can't schedule before they can't schedule after they can just schedule in that window. And it's so powerful. They have a polling tool. It's really, I love it. That's my parting shot.
2: All right. Uh, My parting shot is, is it may be something that you have already experienced, uh, but if not, I continue to experience it on a regular basis. I get, I experience this often enough that I'm making it a parting shot, which is if you find yourself using more than one, meeting tool per day whether that's teams or zoom or google meet and you also have uh headphones or a speaker or a microphone that's not your laptop or your desktop built in, make sure that whatever meeting tool you have has not hijacked and or reconfigured the tools that you're using. I can't tell you how many meetings I'm on where somebody joins and they just came from a Teams meeting and they're logging into a Zoom meeting or, gosh forbid, somebody who came from a GoToWebinar meeting today and we couldn't hear them because their because they're, they're headphones or they're their speaker didn't work anymore, so um, always do a check when you start a new tool up. Do it, do that microphone check. Teams or Zoom lets you do it immediately. You can do it very easily in any of the tools that you have. Just check it out because you will be doing yourself and all of your meeting attendees a favor by making sure that all your equipment is working before you join the meeting.
1: Dennis. Very timely, time. I just had the thing with Google Meet today, and they totally hide where you can find the settings to make those those changes back. So su- super annoying there. Um, and then just to echo what uh, Debbie was saying, that I also use Calendly to say, to make things easier for you, I'm offering this Calendly option so you can just grab the time that's best for you. So I don't say like it's for me. It's really for for them. But my parting shot is my newest project, which I'm not going to go into in in much detail here. But I decided uh, and got Tom's help on on doing this uh, as sort of like a next step in using Notion, was I've created a set of resources uh, for law department innovation, which is sort of going to be my theme going forward. And I created something called the Law Department Innovation Library, which is a set of different resources. resources that I'll keep building over time, like uh, Tom is doing with our collaboration tools guide. But I build it out in Notion, so it's easy to update and maintain. It's at uh, LDIlibrary.com. And I hope everybody checks it out, both as an example of what you can do with Notion. And uh, if you're interested in innovation, I'm going to try to make it like the go-to place uh, for everything that's useful in, in that category.
2: So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Networks page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, or remember we still love getting voicemails for that B segment. Or send us a message at 720-441-6820.